everyone, this is Tony Holbein from Growblox. You are listening to the Revenue Formula. In today's episode, we are taking a page out of the biggest engineering projects in the world and are telling you how to build a digital twin of your revenue engine. Enjoy. Oh, yes. We are back into uh, recording Mondays. You realize this, right? It's been a bit off cadence as of late. No? You didn't realize? No. No. Okay. The weeks just come and go. It's just a you know, <laughs> flurry by now. We okay. went we went sledging. Yeah, nice. It's so funny. Just you know, my mom has like a sledge which she brought home from her mom. So my grandma, she's like 90 or something like this. And the sledge is, I think, as old as my mom, basically. And we had the sledge and we put our kids on it. And it just, it's insane how a little bit of snow, then this piece of like yeah, wood, wood base. <laughs> yeah. And you put three kids on it. Instant fun. Fun immediately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know? And then at first it was like, no, no, I don't know. And then they sit down. It's like, mm, you know, I'm I'm scared. And then you go. It's like faster. Yeah, faster. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was really fun. And uh, so we kind of, I mean, we, so this is in Berlin, Potsdam kind of area. So yeah. there's, I mean, there's no mountains. Forget about it. Uh, but we found like little mini hills. Yeah, yeah. Where they could basically kind of slide down. Yeah. Uh, it was good fun. So down cool for some time, and then no. that's it. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, that was exactly what happened. So we had like, you know, a bunch of time. I was there with my, you know, summer loafers, yeah, basically, yeah, in the snow. In shorts. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. No, it was um, uh, my older son and then um, his two nieces yeah. who are twins. Oh, I see what you did. You're setting us up. You are You thought about this for change. <laughs> Not just leaving <laughs> like me to do, all the, do all the hard work So here. do the hard work now. Of, yeah, you know. uh, twins, how am I going to do it? No, so we're going <laughs> to talk a bit about um, one of the biggest pains folks have is execution. It was in OpenView's benchmark. Yep. Uh, no, we talked about it in the previous episodes. We're not going to go too deep on that, but go-to-market execution is one of the biggest challenges. What we're going to run through today is a three-step process that's going to help ensure solid execution. And it starts with a twin. Yes, Fun it fact. starts with a twin. It starts with a twin. So many of you might not know this concept, so let's spend a little bit of time on this maybe. Yeah. There's, a, there's a concept that's been growing up in, I, I would say in the consulting world a lot. Yeah, engineering. Um, in like VCs love it. Basically the concept of a digital twin, mm. right? So, oh, is this another AI thing? Maybe, I don't know. I'm not sure about it, but <laughs> largely no. Largely no. Yeah. So digital twin as it as it is. What what is it, Mikkel? Tell so me. one of the first the when you read about the concept, one of the first that actually appeared was from NASA. When they had was it the Apollo 13 mission, something went sideways. And to fix the problem and salvage the mission, what NASA had was actually an exact replica of the air shuttle down on Earth. So the engineers could actually inspect and say, okay, this is how you could go about fixing it, right? It's obviously not a digital thing. It was a physical twin they had, but it's just to portray the power of having a twin in, in that scenario, right? Yeah. So today, when you look at it, it's it's big in, uh, I will say, engineering. So not in our tech SaaS startup world, but think about building a medical facility for a billion dollars. Mm -hmm. A lot can kind of go wrong. 
but actually building a digital twin of the facility enables you to find some of the problems before you actually start constructing. Yeah, and it's not just a blueprint or it's not no. just electricity or something like that. It's kind of you want to get as close to the final end result as as possible. And then you want to, you know, in this context, I guess, when you know, run a couple of experiments, you know, yeah. does it actually work like this and like that and so forth, right? Yeah. So it's for them, it's a really cheap way to make sure that the end product is going to work as expected. Exactly. And I, and I think if you look at windmills, it's actually a thing that's being heavily used there because when you look at windmills, so exciting windmills. Yeah, windmill. they're fairly identical. They're super expensive though to build. But the placement is going to be different. You can place them offshore, so on the ocean or in the mountains or on plains. And the temperatures are going to vary. The winds are going to vary. There's so many things that changes. So what do they do to build the twin? They place sensors all over the windmill and they basically you know, pass that information to a digital twin so they know how does the windmill perform? What is the output with different, you know, what do you call it, uh, variables, so temperature, mm -hmm. wind, all that stuff. And it enables them to optimize when they're going to go and build a new windmill farm, how they're going to fit it, how they're going to, you know, basically make sure it runs optimally. And and in their case, right, this is also, they kind of place a couple of sensors everywhere, right? Mm. Which is another way to translate information. Yeah. That's kind of, that's feeding the digital twin. And what's happening there is you have those sensors going on and they kind of receive this information. They run through the digital twin, and the digital twin then expects kind of, hey, this is this is how that should be behaving. Yeah. But then what comes as a next input from the sensor is actually that it isn't behaving like such, mm. which is then actually helping them to figure out which windmills to kind of maintain first, right? Yeah. Kind of send maintenance crews to. So it's a very sophisticated monitoring capability that they're basically deploying there, where if you just had a sensor of like, hey, does it still go around? Yeah, mm. yeah, it does. Yeah, but does it go as fast as you needed it to, based on the wind and the humidity and you know all of these other things that might play a role? No. Okay, well that might give us a clue that there's something wrong here, right? Yeah. So we need to send a crew out. Um, and otherwise you wouldn't have noticed this. You would have, you know, that that problem would have, you know, manifested until the thing was broken. Then mm. you would send the crew out. I think another uh, another maybe more exciting one is Formula One. Uh, you know, <laughs> back to Formula One. So I think McLaren actually built a digital twin of their of their. I mean, they're not one of the top five crews or something like this. No. But I kind of saw this recently. They have a full on digital twin of their two cars, mm. um, uh, where they feed all this information that they're kind of getting through and. All of these pieces in this car obviously kind of connected, right? Yeah. There's something isn't working out. It will have a knock-on effect on something else, and suddenly, boom! You you lose the you lose the kind of race. Yeah. Um, and they use it actually tactically in the in the race to figure out which tires to put on, mm. when yeah. when to come up. Do they still gas up cars? By the way, I'm not sure if that's no, actually I don't think so. Um, but like all kinds of like tactical things. Um, they're using this to uh, to run those simulations, right? I think you can, you know, adjust all kinds of you can adjust all <laughs> kinds of things in this fucking car, right? Um, and basically, kind of, there, there's so many inputs. Yeah. Uh, how do you know which one will actually be the most optimal? And therefore, they have the tech, uh, the digital twin that you know does that. Yeah. You know, they can they can try it out. And so the funny thing is, without knowing it, a bunch of the listeners they're gonna have some kind of a digital twin because is when, it creepy now or what? No. <laughs> Not of themselves, of the business, uh. of the business, right? So they're going to have maybe a BI dashboard somewhere. They're going to have a spreadsheet with some kind of conversion rate logic. What in essence they're trying to do is build a digital twin yeah. of how the business performs. And I think in our world, what's pretty good 
is we already have all the sensors in place, right? Yeah. We don't need to go out and, you know, climb on the windmill, kind of yeah. the road turn, kind of <laughs> attach something. It's already there. And the sensors are uh, basically our our business tools, Yeah, right? This is where we're kind of recording all of the things that are being done on the go-to-market side, right? Mm. We're not saying, hey, you should have a twin for the whole business. I- I'm not sure if we're there yet, technically, as a, as, as a society, I would say. Uh, but the basic kind of for the go-to-market side, uh, over the last 10, 20 years, everyone has been installing lots of business tools across the funnel that basically mm. kind of you know create a bunch of data. Yeah. And that bunch of data now can be used as input to um, your digital twin, right? And I would actually say that a BI dashboard doesn't qualify as that because it does lack the logic of mm. these different pieces. I think if there's, you know, I, th- I think kind of when, when you look at this, the closest is what's happening in your head about the go-to-market engine. Kind of that's that's kind of, it's not a digital, it's, a I guess, an organic twin that's in your head. <laughs> but like thinking through, you know, how this how this thing might work out, yeah. right? It's number one. Number two is, you know, some kind of a, of a broken spreadsheet that you have hanging somewhere. Um, and those those are, you know, to a degree representations of, yeah. um, of the go-to-market business that you're running. Exactly. So the first step, it's a digital twin. We can also call it a model. A revenue model is something other people use as a term as well, right? What does it consist of? I mean, it's it's uh, pretty straightforward. It basically kind of has the different funnel pieces in there, mm-hmm. right? Kind of that's that's a way to structure that twin, right? And there you then need to decide of how deep you want to go. Uh, do you want to do every single step? Do you want to have monitoring stops in between? Do you want to... Um, do you want to split it in all kinds of different, uh, we would say, cuts or dimensions? Mm. Um, but, you know, the funnel is one piece. Um, I think the other one is people. So all the different resources working on this. Yeah. Um, and there are some that are super close to it, like uh, SDRs and AEs, right? That's very close to it. And then you have pieces that maybe a bit further removed. Maybe you're your social media manager or yeah. you're like your designer or something like this. They're kind of part of it, but to a degree they're removed, yeah. right? They're not a direct input. And then lastly, you will have uh, things like costs. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the funnel itself, the digital twin doesn't come for cheap. The, uh, you know, generating all of that, uh, you know, the twin needs to understand that some of these pieces cost you money, yeah. right? Um, and especially that is then, um, you know, if you have those inputs together, um, that is then really what what enables you to um, create pretty strong decision making around this, mm. right? Kind of just to understand these things. You, um, we sometimes call it kind of a what if scenario, or you can you can poke holes into things and yeah. hey, how does this work? How does this work? Um, instead of uh, you thinking and trying to think through these pieces, which I think a lot of us are doing, it's like ah, oh, if we change this thing over there, then I need to kind of keep this other thing uh, over here in mind. And having uh, having kind of a twin doing these things for you without making the same mistakes, so to speak. Yeah, I think that's kind of one one pretty straightforward input here. And then the other piece is planning, forecasting, monitoring. Yeah, I think those are the three main main pieces you can actually do with a digital twin of your go to market engine. That um, that you know we, we're going to talk about this in a little bit more. But basically, kind of bunch of um, actual business applications coming out of this yeah. that that are very far removed from this. Like, oh, cool, a twin. Yeah, but I mean, we so we had Arun Mani from Playo, he's CRO there on the show, and he also talked about they had built a predictive people model, which is 
you know, an essentially a digital twin of part of the business, mm -hmm. which is one model, and enable them to ensure that they have the capacity at any point in time, accounting for people going on paternity maternity, on sick leave, leavers, Promoted. promotions, and stuff like that, right? So that's pretty essential, especially when you're operating a larger team, which I imagine they are, right? Mm -hmm. That you you maintain the capacity to close enough deals. Mm -hmm. And it's the same with the SDRs. It's the same with marketing. It's the same. So that is the power. And it gets pretty complicated quite fast. And you do need to update the model because things change. We've seen it this year. You know, some of the conversion rates, if you think they're going to keep being at the level they've always been, they might, they might change, right? So that model also needs to be kind of calibrated uh, every once in a while. Yeah, and I mean, we, we, maybe this is more on the execution part, uh, but but think about this windmill that, um, hey, there's suddenly more wind, but the windmill isn't spinning as as the twin expected it to. Mm. Um, you know, if, if, you, if you didn't have this comparison on the side, you wouldn't know. Yeah. Um, and I think what we've seen over the past year uh, is a lot of less and, 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 and you know, less wind, uh, yeah. you know, out there. And those windmills are kind of behaving completely differently yeah. than, <laughs> than, than as they should. Um, and kind of seeing that before they completely break down, yeah. right, kind of that's, um, that's extremely useful. So that's basically the digital twin. And you said one of the other keywords, which is planning. Should mm -hmm. we start there? Yeah. So once you have this thing in place, right, and it's really... Um, it's really a representation of your go-to-market in in code, so mm. to speak, right? Then you can start using it as a sometimes we say as a bottom-up planning tool. Yeah, you you shouldn't be caring about where you want to go, right? It's not the model's fault that you can't hit those goals that are mm. being set, um, right? Kind of that's really you know important to keep in mind. But what you can then start doing is you can start adding all of these things that you would do in reality in order to then to achieve something, right? Yeah. You could hire some people, um, you could execute some initiatives, you would do all kinds of things with the with the business, uh, but you can actually do it with a twin. And then the twin kind of, you know, spits out where where are we most likely to end up? Yeah. And you know what? This is this is gonna be your bottom up revenue, planning, forecast, whatever you want to call it, but that's the most likely number you're actually going to hit. If you do all of these things, and if all of these things actually happen like they used to or they happen like you want them to, right? And that then gives you the ability to have a fairly, you know, strong, good conversation with um, the CFO on, you know, how the, the top down and bottom up is landing. Yeah. Arun was talking about this in a very similar manner, actually. He was, in, in that case, he was basically going through Hey, here are all the things that we want to see change. Yeah. And basically had a list of, you know, I wouldn't say hires, but initiatives and so forth. And then was talking about, well, let's go through them one by one. Instead of talking about the end result, mm. uh, which is really diffuse and difficult and, you know, it's going to be a, a non-helpful conversation. Let's go through it one by one. What are the things we want to do? And are they realistic to do? Are they funded? Uh, by when? And so forth, Right. And as he then walked through this with the CFO and, you know, strikes things out or adds some things, um, that then gives him more or less the agreed end result, right? Yeah. And that end result will be uh, usually less than what the CFO wants, but it will be kind of something that they can agree on, right? So ultimately, this is about, you know, planning for hiring, yeah, planning for demand, and then in essence doing resource allocation around that, right? Yeah. What, are, what are the... What are the, you know, and a resource is hiring someone, but a resource can also be RevOps team spending time on a problem. Uh, it can be 
enablement being hired, but then deployed towards an initiative and so forth. There can be so, so many things, yeah. uh, but it's really important to make sure that they're resourced in the end of the day. Yeah. So maybe also just to simplify it for, for the listener, because I, I think sometimes the digital twin and all that stuff, it can get a bit complicated, but just imagine you think about hiring five SDRs in February and being able to know, well, it's going to take you two and a half months to ramp them. And then they're on average going to book this amount of meeting, resulting in this amount of deal at this point in time at this value. That is a super simple way to look at the power of having that twin. So absolutely. And I would say for, for this example, you know, it's like, it's like running a, a paper windmill in your backyard. Yeah. Do you need a digital twin for that? No. I like that's that's just silly. No yeah. one sits there and like attaches a little sensor to all of it. <laughs> it's like, oh, there's too much. You get a smartwatch. There's so we too can much monitor. wind here, and <laughs> yeah. suddenly there's like you know leaves falling from the trees, and yeah. it destroys the paper. So that th you know that kind of stuff, yeah. you don't need the sophisticated tooling for. No. Let's just kind of be honest, right? So if you have um, you know five SDRs you want to hire in you know January and so forth, uh, you know everyone with a piece of paper and a pen can kind of figure this out. I think where where you know this really becomes interesting, and that's why it's also yes, it is a bit more complex. Yeah, I think for sure is when this operation gets just bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah, and bigger, yeah. right. And there's a good conversation to be had. Well, is it is it at the point of where Rune is running things like with a with a hundred million, or is it a thing that is for a billion, mm. or is it a thing for ten million, right? Yeah. And I think it's somewhere in that spectrum, you know, also depending on the organization. Where okay, wait a minute, those. Those five SDRs in January, that's not really my problem. No. Like, yes, if I abstract it all the way back, really Arun's problem is he has five SDRs in January. Kind yeah. of, that's, you know, that's the problem. But it's really times a gazillion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and when something reaches like a complexity level, yeah. And and when the impact is so important. I think then, you know, somewhere in that spectrum, you're going to need to make the jump, right? Yeah. And you need to, def you know, figure out yourself, are you a paper windmill or a windmill farm that's offshore, yeah, you know, yeah, basically yeah. fueling Denmark right yeah. now, right? <laughs> and and there's just a difference between those two. I think it's also, especially when you, when you want to look at a full cycle of closing a deal just from the very beginning, there's a lot of steps in between on that journey, which inherently makes it really hard to do in a spreadsheet. You need to account for time and conversion rates mm -hmm. and what segments are we talking about, and that makes it super difficult, right? And, it, and I just want to point out that this is actually critical for you to know what to execute and what to prioritize, which is the first step of ensuring a solid go-to-market execution, yeah. right? This is why that that part matters a great deal. And so I was just recently talking with a with a CRO about, uh, and yes, it was kind of a sales conversation, but basically we were talking about the go-to-market execution piece and and through that conversation, you know, also for her, it suddenly became so crystal clear. Well, you need to have a great plan first, mm. or like a good plan, at yeah. least a solid plan. You need to have that first because if you don't have an expectation where you want to tilt the engine, it's really difficult to do good execution around it because what's what what are you comparing things to? Yeah, right. It's like uh, let's stay with the windmill. I don't know how <laughs> I, I don't know how it got <laughs> this to this thing, thing now. But like if if there's a lot of wind coming. <laughs> <laughs> then you expect this windmill to rotate faster, right? Yeah. But um, this rotation is only okay if there's a lot of wind coming. Yeah. If you don't expect so much wind coming and the rotation is kind of happening like this, something is going wrong, yeah. right? So in order to to set yourself up to actually manage the whole engine in the right way, you need to kind of say, okay, there are a couple of expectations we're having about the future. And those expectations could be completely, okay, you know, I think we can hire five people. It can also be much more guided yeah. being like, okay, we want to grow to 25 million. 
here here are the expectations we have in order to kind of get to 25 million, right? Yeah. If we hit all of these on the hat, if the dashboard is green all along the way, yeah. we will hit the 25 million. Yeah. Um, if there are things starting to be red and redder and even worse, then we're probably not, yeah. right? Uh, and that's kind of the that's kind of the idea you want to have. And sometimes, and we're talking about digital twinning, let's make it a yeah. little bit more complex. Um, <laughs> sometimes we've been, you know, comparing this almost to observability. Yeah. So you have in your software stack tons of things that are happening. You have servers running. You have, I don't know, yeah. lots of lots of complicated pieces, right? And then there are a bunch of companies uh, offering observability for that stack. Mm. And uh, basically what it does is it scans all of these different things and then, you know, looks for outliers. Mm. It's like, where is something shooting up? Where is something shooting down or whatever? And then when they happen, they're kind of, hey, here's something going on. Yeah. Um, pretty useful, pretty straightforward, right? But in a go-to-market world, you actually don't want to know about the outliers. You want to know about the trajectory, right? Yeah. Kind of, you know, are we? Uh, are you expected for this? Is are you expected for this to increase or not? Right? Uh, and if it does, but it doesn't, well, then something needs to trigger and say like, "Hey, here's something wrong." Right? Yeah. So you really need to kind of, you could say, in an AI world, you want to train your twin a little bit. <laughs> you want to give that twin a bit, bit of an understanding and context of the future for kind of making the right decisions, kind of triggering you. Yeah. And I think that's what the planning piece where it comes in, where it's kind of really important. Yeah. So once you have a model twin and a plan in place what's the next step to secure great execution yeah so i think i think this is where um, almost the 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 ritual and the tradition um, around that needs to be built right kind of you need to um do all the things you need to do anyway so let's mm. just kind of be clear about that but actually what uh, what you can do now is week over week day over day month over month doesn't matter you can clearly see where are the areas that we are executing as planned, mm. where are the areas where that doesn't happen, yeah. right? And if you have that codified in not a spreadsheet that sits somewhere in the corner that updates once a month, but daily, suddenly you can use it as an operational tool. Yeah. And once you use it as an operational tool, you'll have all the different participants in this go-to-market piece, which is, you know, it's not the AEs and the CSMs, but it's their leaders. Mm. Or you as a CRO, your, your lieutenants and their lieutenants basically go in and see where are we doing the right things, where are we not doing the right things according to the plan that we set, right? And you basically kind of give them the ability to sleep a little bit better at night mm. because they don't need to worry every time they walk into an MBR, QBR <laughs> and get like whacked over the head. Yeah, yeah. Um, but number two, when things happening, they can proactively take action. Yeah, It's like, okay, there's something down here in the corner, you know, it's Jackie's fault or whatever. Doesn't yeah. matter if it's her fault or not. Uh, but you can say like, hey, Jackie, what's going on here? And it's like, oh, actually this demo form in APAC broke. Yeah. Uh, and now we saw it and we are fixing it now, right? And what you then can use that whole knowledge for is like in an aggregated fashion in your, I would say your CRO meetings uh, to make sure, hey, does everyone have their eyes on the ball? Is mm -hmm. it very clear where we're kind of going, where we're not going? Yeah. And, you know, based on the latest forecast coming all out of all of that stuff, you know, what is the twin expecting to happen going forward? Yeah. Is there anything we need to kind of account for going forward now? Yeah. yeah. Right? And then drive your conversation around that. And and especially then once you once you kind of land in that world of, okay, this is how it should be going, you almost also want to have the twin tell you, well, if this is happening like that, how much money is that actually, mm. right? So I had myself 
multiple executive meetings uh, where you spend half an hour, 45 minutes talking about some shitty webinar campaign that didn't go as planned <laughs> while spending five minutes on the hiring issue that we have on the SDR side, yeah. as an example, yeah. right? And I would have, you know, yes, in my head it was there and no one else's head it was like this, but I would have loved a tool to just tell me, hey, listen, this webinar problem they're talking about that you're like wasting 45 minutes on, you're ultimately talking about one deal. You're yeah. talking about $20,000 by the end of the quarter. This hiring problem you have over here is $150,000 by the end of next quarter. Yeah. So which which problem should you be spending more time on actually, mm. right? And that's, you know, that having that help, yeah. uh, that it's not just sitting in your head, but in, in everyone's head, so to speak, and having clarity kind of what are the real big issues we need to work on and spend mm -hmm. time on, extremely helpful because that in essence enables you to hit those targets, right? Yeah. Kind of it helps you, where should you be spending the time with your team, focusing in on these, fixing those things, you know, treating it almost like a task list. Yeah. It's like, okay, there's this issue now. We need this thing to be green next time we talk. Yeah. <laughs> And if it's not, then when is it going to be green? And you need to be pushing this thing until it's okay again. Right? Yeah. And, you know, we sometimes talked about this, and this was also kind of talked to another CEO the other day. The, the, the solution is not always where the problem is. No. It could be that, yes, you have a hiring issue over there, and it's tearing a hole of half a million into your forecast for the rest of the year, but there might be a, a way to find a half a million somewhere else. Mm. And that's basically kind of where then this forecasting comes in, right? Yeah. So yes, you have your plan and there will be some magical point of time where your financial plan and your, your go-to-market plan are fully aligned. And then in the next second, they will start to, yeah, to, drift. to drift away. <laughs> and, and it's going to be your go-to-market and then we call it a forecast. The, the go-to-market forecast will be the more reliable things because it you know relies on you know up-to-date information, mm. both fresh data coming from the sensors, but also you as a team sitting there and doing some some updates to the twin. It's like, well, I don't think that hire is going to start here. I think it's going to start over there. Uh, yeah. I think these things are actually not going to go like we planned. They're going to be slightly different. And then the twin basically kind of adjusts and kind of gives you the new forecast, right? And having that that ability and that conversation and being so precise about that, mm. um, that basically kind of helps you to hit your targets at the end of the day. I mean, so it's it's such a powerful tool to have, yet it's, I've been in those situations where someone shows you their model in a spreadsheet. It's like, can you see that this is what how we need to do it? You just like sell B5. That's And then, we, then we're home and you're like, what is this magical wonderland I'm looking at on the screen? I have no clue, right? It's, it's yeah. someone else's logic it can make it really difficult. So I think it's, it is an essential tool to have because it's great for decision-making and understanding whether you're in marketing, sales, or CS, if you need to make an impact, what are your options and how do you kind of decide at the end of the day? But you kind of need to have the knowledge of how the model works. And and actually, whether it's a spreadsheet or you buy Groblox, yep. doesn't matter. Someone, those leaders, they need to know uh, how, no, how absolutely. it works. And I think, um, I think the... I think to you know, the, the way I'm sometimes seeing it is like when you have a fairly straightforward uh, setup, I think you don't even need to have a spreadsheet. I mm. think it is in your head and I think it works out. I think at some point uh, you will start scribbling something in the spreadsheet. Yeah. And then at some point, and at least zeros will know this, when they open up the uh, the spreadsheet <laughs> and they just see the mess. Yeah. And they're like, you know what? That's too late now. Yeah. You know, we, we've gone over Kind of this is, I think, where you need to have a more robust solution for this, right? And I think the the main downsides when you know using using spreadsheets in this sense is really the 
the inability to collaborate, share, yeah. and so forth, right? Yeah. So uh, for, for, for many reasons, not everyone is as literate in spreadsheets as someone else. Mm. And then it basically becomes a, um, a useless tool, right? It's not being used. But I think there's more, there's more than that, right? Because what's going to happen eventually as we start the new year, Q2, 3, whatever, someone is going to face a challenge. And the first task is to understand what is even happening, mm -hmm. right? And if you, if you don't have a model already there, it's going to take you longer to get to the root cause, right? And it's just, it's just so essential to be able to define then how do you solve it at the end of the day. And that's where if you, you, know, if you don't have a setup, you're going to have to do some custom work and RevOps is going to spend one to two weeks, get back to you, and you've lost an immense amount of time in fixing a problem. What, that you, you know. Yeah, but one of my favorite problems in this context is, by the way, um, let's just say you miss target. Mm. And um, and then there's this whole finger pointing happening. Yeah, whose fault is it? Yeah, yeah. Is it marketing? Is it you know sales and so forth? And what's pretty cool when you have like a twin kind of on the side, you can basically you can basically kind of figure out well we missed by a million, but 600k was because of our sales execution. So let's say CVRs, ACVs, mm. I don't know, was trailing behind. You can say. Uh, 700k was because of the MQLs and some conversion rate, whatever. Mm. Now we're, you know, 1.3 million above basically, so so or below. But then you might have some other areas in the twin that are positive. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that actually take it from the 1.3 down to the 1 million miss. Yeah. Right? yeah. And how are you going to have a conversation about this? Because what you really want to do, you want to, it's not about blame or anything like no. this, but you want to, it's about root cause. We, yeah. You know, you don't want to whack people over their hands, but you want to have a conversation. It's like, well, the problem why we're not hitting is there. And yes, you're responsible. Yeah. And, uh, and that means you need to start going and fixing it, right? Mm. But if you have this constant finger pointing in a completely diffuse world where, yes, you didn't hit target and it's binary, you either do, you don't, how, how do you know where in the funnel was actually the problem? And how where do you know how much of it was the, the case? Right? Yeah, yeah. It's like when you have a car accident and like just a smaller one in a city or something like this. Yes, someone was running, I don't know, around the corner a little bit too fast, but the other one kind of didn't look and so forth. Mm. And then there's a huge law fight, at least in Germany, I'm not sure. Yeah. How it works, to basically kind of say like, you know, if you run a red light, you're 100% guilty, yeah. period. <laughs> but then there's so many thousands of examples where it's kind of not that clear. Yeah. And in Germany, very often it's like, well, it's 50-50. Yeah. Both of both of you, it's yeah, both of your yeah. fault. Yeah. Both of you fucked up to a little bit of a degree. Yeah. And you want to have the same, the same system when you go to market. You yeah. want to be like, well, to a degree, you know, it's not all of us. All no. of us messed up, right? Kind of sure, yes, have that message and uh, have that conversation. But that's not going to help you with a great go-to-market execution. No. You want to have a good understanding who messed up by how much and why. And let's go go fix it. I think, and I think there's a more fundamental piece, which is, could you have uncovered that problem sooner? Mm -hmm. Right? We we talk about it. You don't want to sit in QBR and figure out, ah, we could have, we should have fixed that in you know week two when the quarter yeah. began. And and I think that's the other dimension. When you have that twin, you can see it really early what's happening, and then you can decide what what are the cost corrections you as a I, team need to make. I actually believe that those QBRs will kind of die. Because right now, the reason why you do a QBR on a quality level is because it's a lot of work. Mm. And the reason why many people say they do a QBR but don't is because it's too much work. Right? Yeah. So they don't have doing it. But if you have the same logic of a QBR daily happening for you, you know, why would you sit there on a quality level? Yeah, yeah. And you know what? You should because of you should have the conversation and the focus and blah, blah, blah. We talked about this and it's totally there. 
But I think, you know, once the laziness of people sets in, it's like, why why don't we be discussing the same numbers that we've been tracking and fixing yeah. and changing? Like, you know, why would I do this? It feels like a post-mortem uh, when I had this right right there when it happened. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. So I think those are some probably non-obvious ways to address execution Yeah. when you think about it. Because usually it will be a lot on the tactical level. This is basically about having a digital twin that enables you to spot some of the challenges. You talked a bit about observability, yes. which is just as an example, is Datadog, yes. massive company you might have heard of. They're big on this, but for engineering teams, yep. right? So it should totally be a thing you consider for your go-to-market as well. That's it. Um, and we talked about digital twinning. Once you have that thing set up, do a proper plan, and then basically kind of using this digital twin that is trained now with your plan to mm -hmm. help you make the right decisions. And yes, you need to still, you know, make all the phone calls, you need to fire <laughs> the people, you need to hire the people, you need to be a leader and all of that stuff. Uh, but this kind of gives you a backbone to really, you know, make decisions with confidence and execute like a, like a rock star. Wow. Wow. Maybe there was too much energy in the end. Yeah. <laughs> probably, probably it was. Thanks everyone but for listening. Thank you. Thanks, Michael. Bye.